You're listening to JSCN, radio for the Jewish small communities. Welcome, I'm Ed Horwich, and this is Season 2 of JSCN Talk, the podcast for the Jewish small communities and for anybody interested in Jewish topics and Jewish life. Coming up in this episode, we're going to be revealing some of the stories, some of the histories of British Jews who fought in the First World War and find out how to, you, you can get involved and maybe you've got a story from the First World War. But first, let me ask you, do you like the new format, the new single episode podcast? I hope so. And if you do, just hit the subscribe button and then you'll make sure you always get a podcast. And, and when you do, if you're on something like iTunes, give us five stars and that way other people will find us as well. Now, are you a budding podcaster or budding journalist? Are you at school or at college? Or maybe you've just got a bit more time on your hands these days and fancied giving it a go? Well, I'd like to hear from you because we're interested in you being part of JSCN Talk. So start the ball rolling, send me an email with a little bit about yourself and about the stories you're interested in. Send it to jscn.org.uk and who knows what's going to happen from there. Go on, give it a try. But back to today's episode and our story about Jews in the First World War. British Jews in the First World War is a project, a heritage project, recording for posterity the stories and memories of the Jews who took part at that time. It started in London and now it's rolling out around the country, starting with the northwest of England and JSCN is partnering to make those contacts with people in small communities. I invited Alan and Rodney and Charlotte into the studio and I started by asking Alan to tell me a bit more. Sure, the, the purpose of the project is, is twofold. One is to collect and preserve individual stories of people of the First World War era. Uh, that's combatants, soldiers, airmen, and Navy people, of course, but also civilian population. We're particularly interested in stories of women, families, and so on. So it's social history as much as military history or community history. The second uh, purpose is to collect uh, stories of the era of the First World War. These are events which usually are not so well known, which run the risk of being forgotten or overlooked. It's starting to become the second generation who have had those stories told to them. So we're now dealing with some second, a lot of third, and increasingly fourth generation. Now, Rodney, you've come on board with this very much so. I always thought I knew about stories of the First World War, um, mainly from newsreels that you see on the TV. But once I started working on the, the application and then saw how much was being uncovered, it's a bit like Alan said to me right at the beginning, be careful you'll get the bug. And I've got the bug. And not only is it, is it a tremendous project to work with, to meet different people, but I guess it's a it's something now that is challenging me because I'm finding out so much that I really didn't realise I knew. Right, now then, I, I can say that myself and Alan and you, Rodney, we're both of a slightly older age, but Charlotte, you're not. No. So the First World War, the Second World War, really is a long, long way away before your yes. younger generation. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a history graduate, um, so I've always been interested in um, history and heritage. Uh, I started working at the War Museum in Salford. Um, that was working in the shop. 
um, which was really, really interesting to be there anyway. But um, people would um, come in and they want to tell stories, they want to give letters, artifacts, photographs, um, and they want to find out more about what their family did in the war. And I was, wasn't in a position to, um, to help them to do that. Um, so that's what's brought me to the project um, that I can now talk to these people and uh, really help them find out and document, preserve what they did in the First World War. So what is your role within the project? So I'm the project researcher. So um, there's two ways really. I find um, a name and I find out what, what they did um, and then I add all of that onto the site. Um, or um, we do these events and um, people come to me with their stories um, and then I'll go away and, and find out um, what their grandparents, great-grandparents, um, what they did during the war. Well, we should say that there's a very comprehensive website mm -hmm. which has expanded from being London Jews in the First World War to now being British Jews in the First World War. What can people find when they go to the website? So the first thing to do is to get people to the site. So <laughs> go to www.jewsfww.uk. So the site's in three parts. One, it tells stories of individuals. The site now has about oh, around 2,000 individual records loaded up. The second area is to tell these mini stories of the period. Uh, and that's what we call history windows. The third part is collections. In other words, we hold on the site digital copies of objects, of artifacts, of diaries, of books. There we've had spectacular success. Uh, we have unearthed the most amazing items and they have raised international interest from scholars, from researchers, some of whom had no idea this stuff existed. We didn't know this stuff existed. The originals, some of them are still with the families and some of them are now with institutions. Jewish Museum, the Israel Museum being run in proper curatorial standards so people can trust us with their material. And if people are interested in their family history, you can help them find out a bit more about that, or the website can. Yes, so if you go to the site, you will find guidance on how to research personal records. You will find documents to help you. So for example, in 1922, it was published the Jewish Book of Honour a book which contains about 50,000 names of combatants from the First World War period. We were the first people to take this book and digitize it. Now it's a search capacity and people can find their relatives who fought in the war. The second part of the story is that, for example, we were very lucky and very privileged to be able to do a direct link from our site to the Commonwealth Graves Commission site. So you don't even have to come out of our site to go into the Commonwealth Graves Commission. So lots and lots of resources that people can find and perhaps if they get involved and they get in touch um, they might be able to contribute some things which they never knew they had and might be able to find some things out which they never expected to find. Correct and that's happening all the time. Last email I had I've just seen for the first time a photograph of my great uncle which I've been searching for for years. I knew his name, I knew a bit about him but I'd never seen him and we had unearthed the photograph and put it on this, his personal record and they were, they were really quite ecstatic. Um, we had one anecdote of some, I was making a presentation in the synagogue and I was using the story of one person on the site and suddenly a man in the hall 
literally yelled out that that's my relation. And it turned out that we had been working with one cousin and this was another cousin and the two didn't know each other. They'd never, been, they'd never <laughs> met. There were different branches of the family, but they met and they met around our site. They met around this relative, this relation. We've also unearthed quite amazing women's stories. We forget this was the first war where women really made a major part of keeping the country going. I think that's a very good point to introduce, I think, Charlotte. So I popped down to the Manchester Jewish Museum just to see what they had in their collections there. I just came across a picture of a nurse in a book. I went away and did my research, found out she was a nurse in the voluntary aid detachment. She was a, a VAD, VAD, at military hospital in Fallowfield. What, what is a VAD? So it was an organisation that um, mostly, mostly women, and they did all sorts of things. Most of them were nurses, either over here or they did go overseas as well. So tell us a bit about how you researched, because you just said very briefly, yeah. I went on the <laughs> I research. Went on. Luckily, there's lots of um, different resources online. Um, this particular one, the Red Cross, um, has made available all of these records from these um, VADs um, and nurses. Um, so I searched her name in there and also found her on a, on a census. Her family lived in Withington, uh, so I found her date of birth, where she lived and where she worked and then I put this story together and it went out on our newsletter and a woman replied saying that's my great aunt and she told me a bit more about her that she had a sister as well that also was a nurse in a different hospital so I could add then another story which is another layer. Alan. Something quite accidental but quite nice Charlotte mentioned the Red Cross. Another researcher in the London Project left us to go to the Royal College of Nursing as the First World War archivist. So the Royal College of Nursing got the bug about nurses in the First World War and hired one of our staff to be the archivist, which I think is some kind of compliment. Let's put a figure on what the Jewish involvement was in the First World War. We believe but up to 50, 55,000 people from British Jewry and what we would now call Commonwealth fought in, in the First World War. As a percentage of the population, the Jewish population played a very conspicuous part. We, we think the Jewish population around the First World War was about the same size as it is now, which is about 300,000 people. About 40,000, 45,000 fought in the war a very high percentage. What really is of interest is that the community at that time was a new community, new in quotation marks. Clearly there had been a large Sephardi community in Britain for a very long time, but around 1914-15-16 the Ashkenazi community from Eastern Europe was relatively new, 40-50 years old. But they responded in significant numbers to the call to arms and one of the famous quotes which we use is, England has been everything it can be to its Jews. The Jews will be everything it can be to England. And there were posters. We show on the website one famous poster saying, no slackers. The Jews are almost required to come forward. You've already alluded to, it's not just people fighting on the fronts as soldiers, but there's doctors, 
well, we all know about Jewish doctors and lawyers, the aircraft, that involved the Jewish population. The Royal Flying Corps was formed pretty early on, and Jews were very prominent. Again, as a percentage, a disproportionately high percentage, were drawn from other military units to serve in the Royal Flying Corps. Indeed, one of the stories which we have given prominence to there was, uh, in the outskirts of London and Essex, an airdrome, as we used to call them, fail up waters, and there was a major training accident, and a Jewish airman was killed. The tradition of the Royal Flying Corps, which the RAF now adopt, is that the person should be buried as close to the airfield as possible. This was St. Clement's Church, was the place of religious burial closest. The church had no idea how to bury a Jew, so a minister came from the East End, which was quite a journey, out to Fairlock, and helped the church bury this Jewish airman there. Every year since, on what we would call York site, but they would say the commemoration of his death, they hold an interfaith service. The church, a hundred plus years later, is still commemorating that man. So Jews were prominent and paid the ultimate price uh, in the creation of the Royal Flying Corps, which eventually, of course, became in 1917, the Royal Air Force. How are we collecting all this information? What is it that the project needs to do to get these stories out of the woodwork? So, um, the, the main challenge is to get out into the communities, into North and South Manchester, to Liverpool, to the Wirral, and all the small communities across the northwest. So we're talking about St. Anne's, Blackpool, Southport, even going as far north as Lancaster. There was a Jewish battalion, wasn't there? Can anybody tell me about that? Yes, there were Jewish battalions. There were very large numbers of, uh, of Jews spread throughout. And later on, of course, there was the creation of dedicated Jewish battalions, which later on had very significant and prominent roles in the war, particularly in the Middle East. And just to emphasise what Alan was talking about, we've now had tremendous support and interest from six Fusilier museums. But you also want the help of, of the ordinary man in the street, right. man and woman in yeah. the street, don't you? The project is, is started to roll out in the northwest, so it's going to go from Stoke up to, what, Lancaster or beyond, I don't know. Right. What we have to do is to get out and get into the communities and, and find ways that we can invite them in for us to tell their stories, or, and this is where Charlotte's main role is, to actually go and visit people in their homes. See, one of the things I did was to go out with uh, a researcher in London who went to St John's Wood and this woman was probably in her late 80s and she had a vast collection of letters, photographs, but what she did have was her grandfather's iron cross. There was such a great warmth in the story, she wanted to tell the story and I think as Alan alluded to and I think Charles will find when she goes out people want to share these stories, they don't want them hidden. And sometimes people are really not sure what they've got and whether it's of value. Yes, one synagogue we were doing the road show, we were about to start, this man came rushing in saying, sorry I can't stay, I've got other commitments, but we're just clearing out my late father-in-law's house. We wondered if this was interest and he presented this shopping bag. Inside the shopping bag was a photo album from Palestine, Syria, and Mesopotamia, never say that word, 
1919, and it was a fantastic collection of photographs, which the fam were going to throw out. They said, we don't want these, we don't need these, we'd rather get rid of them. You take them. Uh, and it was an astonishing photo album, which I'm proud to say is now in a museum, uh, but not before we digitized it and got it on the site. Another family came to us and said, we have this, which we think is important. It's very important to us, but we don't know if it's general interest. And they produced the most astonishing trench diary of their grandfather. It was, great-grandfather, sorry. It was a, a verbatim record that he kept in the trenches and told of his, really of his survival uh, during the Battle of the Somme. Uh, extraordinary stuff. Other events where people can come along and tell those stories. <clears throat> Let's focus minds onto the BBT's Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. The roadshows that we've got planned and is based on that sort of template. People are invited to turn up with the carrier bag, with the shoebox. If there's a really outstanding story, and normally there is, we will go and see them individually. Because we don't want to just say thank you very much for turning up and let you go. We will process that whole story, their family stories. And as I said a few minutes ago, one of the things is a lot of people have their old ketubas from their grandparents. They have photographs, discharge papers. But once you begin to ask the questions, then they really open up. And the research that I, when I went out in London, people were taking photographs down off the wall, allowing us to, to, to scan them, to put them on the website. And it really becomes a very, very enjoyable part of the project. So it's something which really shouldn't be lost, but it's in danger of being lost. And really this is the time now for people to come forward and, and actually tell those stories, find out you know, a little bit more about their own histories and, and in the course of that they can fill in some of the missing jigsaw pieces. Yes, very much so. And I don't want the listener to have the impression that we're dealing only with elderly people. People are coming up of all mixed age groups. But as you rightly say, the thing which binds them together is a desire that this story be not lost. And Charlotte, what's it like to work on the project? Oh, it's fascinating. You don't know what you're going to find um, each day. Have there and been any particular examples that stand out? Or is it just like, you just don't know what's going to come? Well, um, I went, um, had a very exciting day. I went looking around some cemeteries. Yeah, this is um, like as you do. As you do, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm, and I like wandering around cemeteries. And it was a beautiful day. So I had a great time. And I came across... One grave in Southern Cemetery, which had the name Sylvan Dreyfus on it, in the in the Jewish cemetery, um, and it it had a, the inscription that he died um, during a munitions factory explosion. Were the, related to the famous Dreyfus in France? A distant relation, yeah. I think there was some connection there. Yeah, this guy died here in Manchester during the First World War, when his actually his chemical works exploded and that was in the war effort of the chemical yeah right. yeah it was they were manufacturing tnt right um, so for the war effort yeah. and um, next, to a, next to a primary school yeah couldn't believe so it you can just see no health and safety issues in those days <laughs> next to a gas <laughs> We've <moved> on a <laughs> bit. yeah so the the gas um, canisters exploded um and i think upwards of 70 people were killed or injured and that was just from me going for a walk in the cemetery 
And we believe, from what we can find out, we believe that the, the factory, this, this man Dreyfus and his partner, offered Chaim Weizmann a job there. Good job he didn't take it. Good job he didn't <laughs> take <laughs> it. <laughs> Would have altered the course of history. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. I'm really pleased that we're involved, partnering with, with this project. It's, it's going to be a very interesting couple of years. Thanks very much for coming in today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Great. Amazing to think that so many of those stories have barely seen the light of day in the years since the First World War. But now we're getting to know about them. Like they said, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of stories already on the British Jews in the First World War website. And we're collecting more here in the North West. There's going to be a series of roadshows starting in Southport in May, then going to St Anne's and uh, possibly elsewhere as well. But I know that also places like Stoke-on-Trent, we're collecting stories from there and we're encouraging people to send those in. And if you want to send your story in before you can get to a roadshow, or you're somewhere where there isn't a roadshow coming anyway, you can still send them to us. Go to our website, Jewish Small Communities Network, jscn.org.uk, and you'll see a banner, British Jews in the First World War, and a button on there. Click the button, it will take you through to a form to collect your basic details and the basic details about your story. That will go through to Charlotte in the office and she will sift through those stories and come back to you and we'll hope to collect those stories in full in that way. So I really hope you want to take part. And I really hope you want to take part in JSCN Talk. A reminder, if you are a budding podcaster or a budding journalist, whether you're young or not so young, and it's something you're interested in doing, then send me an email to hello at jscn.org.uk or use the contact form, the regular contact form, on the JSCN website. I'm Ed Horwich, and this is JSCN Talk, the podcast for the Jewish small communities. (laughs) 